Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, even in a post-COVID world, office hygiene is a critical part of keeping people healthy and on the job. What employers need to know as they begin to mandate employees return to the workplace. Also this morning, happening around town, the Findlay Rotary Club is hosting a spring garden party at the Hancock Hotel to benefit the local Welcome to a New Life program. We'll get details. And in today's Throwback Thursday segment, when was the last time you paid cash for just about anything? The perks and the pitfalls of living in a cashless society. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, April 14th, 2022. Today, if you need a reason to celebrate, is the International Moment of Laughter Day. International Moment of Laughter Day. It is Pathologist's Assistant Day. So, a big salute to all of the pathologist's assistants. It is Ex-Spouse Day. Ex spouse day national dolphin day national pecan day or pecan day whichever you prefer look up at the sky day it is reach as high as you can day uh, children with alopecia day and the course of the past month we have learned all about alopecia anything that we didn't know uh, we do now uh, alopecia today children with alopecia day and it is pan-american day today so reasons to celebrate reasons uh things worth observing uh on this uh on this 14th day of april um so the uh covid crisis may not be the lead story in the news the way it has been over the past couple of years but that does not necessarily mean it is over um what is that that mantra we keep hearing from health officials? We may be done with the virus, but it's not done with us. Yesterday, the um, what the CDC extended the mask mandate in airports and on public transportation for another couple of weeks. Now until May 3rd, it was set to expire on Monday. And so uh, keep your mask handy, at least for the next couple of weeks, if you are traveling. And uh, also... The Health and Human Services Department has extended the public health emergency that's been in effect for more than two years. Uh, another three months. That was set to end Saturday. But now uh, that will be extended another three months. And while we're really hoping, I think, to get rid of the mask mandate on public transportation, airports, airplanes, and all of that, this is probably a good thing, the extension of the health, uh, public health emergency, because that extension will allow millions of people to keep getting free tests, free treatments, free vaccines. President Biden has said that the nation is transitioning to treating the coronavirus as an endemic rather than a pandemic. But cases are once again rising because of this uh, latest Omicron variant. Um I guess we're up to about 31,000 new infections per day, but very few hospitalizations. So we have definitely come a long way. Very few, if any, hospitalizations. Uh, So come a long way, but the uh, public health emergency continues. And uh, speaking of the uh, pandemic, the uh, new data from the CDC is probably not at all surprising, given what we have been through. And this has been one of the arguments pushing back against all of the coronavirus restrictions over the past couple of years and so on. The number of drug overdose deaths in the U.S. has risen to a new high. This new CDC data says over 106,000 people died of a drug overdose in the 12-month period ending in November. That's a 16% increase from the previous year. Um. Synthetic opioids, including fentanyl, were involved in about two-thirds of those overdose deaths. Over the past six years, annual drug overdose deaths in the U.S. have more than doubled. So, again, the pandemic, not not in small part contributing to uh, the despair and such that uh, leads to things like that. So, not a big surprise. Uh, speaking of uh, not 
a big surprise. I saw this item on the Newswire, and I, this is one that comes from the file of Duh. This is a team of international researchers that investigated, actually investigated, uh, the way people experience music in different cultures. And it turns out that the experience of listening to music is not universal in terms of what everyone pictures in their minds as music plays. (laughs) No kidding! What they did is they played uh, 60-second snippets of instrumental music for participants from three regions across two continents. They found listeners from Arkansas to Michigan in the U.S. described very similar stories and often used the same words when describing the music they were listening to, while listeners from Dimen, a small village in rural China, envisioned stories that were similar to each other but very different from those of American listeners. (laughs) This seems like a very elaborate survey to come up with something that I think we all inherently knew already, and that is listening to music and the reaction you have when you hear music and what comes to to your mind is a very individualized thing. But the uh, co-leader of the study, Elizabeth Margulis, she's from Princeton University. (laughs) Not only is this a university study, it was Princeton. This is not, you know, this is not... uh, podunk community college here that's doing this this is princeton university um elizabeth margulis the co-leader sums it up by saying these results paint a more complex picture of the power of music which can generate remarkably similar stories in listeners minds but the degree to which those imagined narratives are shared depends on the degree to which culture is shared among listeners Again, from the you can take that uh, serve, that uh, study and file it under the category of duh. Anyway, I, who pays for these studies? Well, I, I know who pays. They're getting grants. They're getting like federal grants to study this. We are paying for this nonsense. No kidding. Music is different <laughs> for listeners across multiple cultures. Music is different. What a shocker. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this guy. Uh, he is a, a social media ambassador, I guess is what he calls himself. Um, he is known online as Sir Yacht. He's actually from Cleveland. His real name is Joey Kinsley, but he goes by the handle Sir Yacht on social media. And uh, he's got a really interesting story. He um, always had had a pretty solid following on social media on Instagram and Twitter and so on. Uh, But during the pandemic, he lost his job, and so he turned to content creation full-time as a way of making money. So he is now a social media ambassador or influencer or content creator, whatever term you want to use. Uh, Joey Kinsley, his his name. And uh, one of the things uh, he does on TikTok is he goes all over the state of Ohio uh, different uh, towns and villages and so on, and uh, touts their unique uh, attractions and so on. I don't know if he's ever been to Findlay or not. I know he's been to Tiffin a couple of times, but in any event, uh, he has a, a new challenge. He is visiting 13 cities named Cleveland in 10 days. <laughs> uh, he's from Cleveland. He's from the Cleveland area. And he uh, posted just kind of on a whim the other day that he would make a 10-day trip to visit 13 cities named Cleveland if he got a uh, got 10,000 likes in his post. And it took his fans about two hours to eclipse the 10,000 required likes. So he said, okay, going to do it. And this has gone viral. Um, uh, he left Ohio Monday and uh, visiting Cleveland's In New York, North Carolina, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. 
They had no idea that there were places named Cleveland in all those states. And that's not the, those aren't the only ones, but those are the, the ones that he figured he could get to in a week and a half. And why 10 days? Because he said he's got to be back in time to uh, fly to North Carolina for a friend's wedding. So he's, but I thought that was good. You can follow him online, Sir Yacht. Um, he's got, uh, he's got three things. He's got to meet with a local, I guess, uh, get a tour of the town. Uh, sample some of the local cuisine and get somebody at the town to say go Browns. <laughs> Those are his goals at each of his uh, at, uh, each of his stops, and it started on uh, Monday, so you can follow that in Suryat. It's kind of cool. And a couple of uh, other items here among the first things that you need to know this morning: the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day in politics. Mick Mulvaney, who served for a time as White House Chief of Staff under uh, Donald Trump. Uh, tells Politico he believes that one of the people on the short list of those who could realistically potentially beat Donald Trump for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, if Trump were decided to run again, he's he says one of the people on the short list that could potentially beat him for the nomination, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> That's what he says. He also named Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, but uh, The Rock, he said, would give Donald Trump a run for his money. <laughs> now, apparently, this has been a thing for a while, um, and I think we've talked about this in the past. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson has repeatedly teased that running for president is something he might possibly do, and a poll uh, found 46% of Americans said that they would support Dwayne The Rock Johnson if he were to decide to run. Um, although he told Vanity Fair in an interview past this past October, he said, quote, I don't know the first thing about politics or policy. <laughs> he said, I might have some decent leadership qualities, but that doesn't necessarily make me a great presidential candidate. But 46% of the people he said, if that's what they want, uh, Mick Mulvaney seems to think that uh, he would give Donald Trump a run for his money. Here's the problem. Uh, Dwayne, the rock Johnson is actually a registered independent with centrist ideologies and endorsed Joe Biden in the last election. So if he were to run, it's unclear whether he would run as a Republican. But that's what Mick Mulvaney says. I think Mick Mulvaney is. Uh, I think Mick Mulvaney's cheese has slipped off his cracker, if you know what I mean. But I, I could be wrong. I, I could be wrong. And uh, how about this? A sign of the times we live in. The Metro Las Vegas School District is going to be giving electronic panic buttons to teachers in their schools amid escalating violence, fights, assaults, brawls, and the wake of several incidents in the schools, including an after-school attack on a teacher in a classroom, allegedly by a 16-year-old student, uh, which left a teacher un, uh, unconscious. The devices will have Bluetooth connectivity and will be part of other measures in the district, the nation's fifth largest school district, in Las Vegas, uh, will not include not only panic buttons, but upgrading security cameras and asking police agencies to increase their presence at schools. The Associated Press and report on this cited Bridget Duffy, juvenile division director of the county's district attorney's office, as saying we have seen not an increase of calls, but an increase of the violence, the level of violence, uh, also a lack of empathy and a lack of respect for adult authority in the schools. Just a sign of the times that we live in. Kind of sad, actually. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. Your WTOL 11 weather. Cloudy early today, but skies will become mostly sunny with a high 57. Partly cloudy tonight with a low of 44. A man was killed in a workplace accident in Findlay. The accident happened at the Rumkey Waste and Recycling Facility on Prospect Avenue. The 56-year-old was a maintenance technician and was killed when the arm of a trash truck hit him in the head as he was attempting repairs. The man was taken to Blanchard Valley Hospital, where he was pronounced dead. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration is investigating the accident. Get more on the website. The city of Findlay says people who weren't able to attend one of the recent Move Findlay Forward workshops still have an opportunity to share their ideas by filling out an online survey. 
Mayor Christina Murren says it's really important to hear citizens' ideas for the city's new strategic plan. What are the hot-button issues that they care about? What are the things that they want to see in their community in years to come? The mayor says this is an opportunity for residents to share their ideas to help make Findlay an even better place than it already is. The online survey will be open until April 30th. We have a link to it on the website. A vigil was held outside Ohio Stadium for a former Ohio State quarterback who died after being hit by a truck on a Florida highway. Players and fans honored Dwayne Haskins Jr. under candlelight. Y'all, we just want to take the time and say thank you for Dwayne's life. Thank you for the good in him. He was a record-setting quarterback on the field. To others, much more. Dwayne was a very selfless person. He put everybody in front of him. At a press conference this past Monday, Coach Ryan Day did say they plan to honor Haskins at this Saturday's spring game. That's ONN's Richard Solomon reporting. The Finley Municipal Court's 5th Annual Safe Surrender Day is being held today. People who have a bench warrant for their arrest can get the warrant released today. All they need to do is show up and meet with court staff. The Public Defender's Office, City of Finley Prosecutor's Office, and other agencies will be on hand to help get warrants addressed and released. Appointments are preferred, but walk-ins are welcome. I'm John Marshall, WFIN News. Well, you know, although working from home was a popular and in many cases effective alternative for many workers, employers are now increasingly demanding people return to the conventional in-person office environment. But one of the things we did learn during the pandemic is that the office environment can be a breeding ground for germs, and that is one significant concern leading to the pushback from employees. Dr. Lisa Ackerley is Director of Medical and Scientific Engagement and Hygiene for Lysol Pro Solutions. Dr. Ackerley, the first thing to point out is that it is not just COVID. Even if you are convinced that this is no longer something we have to worry about, and we won't get into that whole argument, but even if you say this is no longer a big deal, there are plenty of other viruses and bacteria that are easily spread within the confines of any workplace. Absolutely right. And, uh, you know, it's easy for us to forget about that because we've been so focused on COVID. Um, but, of course, any respiratory illness, so coughs and colds and seizures and flu um, and tummy bugs, they can all spread very, very quickly in an office environment. And it says here that 43% of workers say that their office hygiene protocol, if they even have one, needs to be better enforced. You call it hygiene theater, and you say employers need to stop doing it. Yeah, now hygiene theater is something else. And it's um, it, what, what, what it is, is basically where people have indiscriminately sprayed chemicals all over the place. Mm. Uh, and, and it started off at the beginning of the pandemic, and you, you saw pictures of, of uh, vehicles going along roads and spraying. Um, and then it's sort of gone into people thinking we need to do a deep clean of the office or the, or a hospitality setting, for example. And, uh, and maybe just focusing on cleaning once a day. But actually that isn't really very helpful if we know about the journey of the germ. If we think about how does the transmission route actually occur and what are we trying to do? We're trying to stop the transmission. So we need to think about when our surface is likely to get contaminated throughout the day. So if you've done a deep clean once at, at night, um, over the course of the day, you could get lots of contamination occurring on high touch points. So targeted hygiene is all about thinking, it's sort of taking a step back and thinking scientifically and logically and doing a sort of risk-based approach, which is let's think about which surfaces are likely to get contaminated and when they're likely to be contaminated, and Mm -hmm. how we can actually reduce that risk of it being passed from the surface to a worker. So with all of that said, then, what should be included in an office hygiene program or a workplace hygiene program? Well, what we're thinking of is it's a two-pronged approach is the one that we're advocating. And this is really so that we think about the facilities themselves and the so that would be the disinfection at the right times, the protocols being developed to look at the frequency needed for disinfection of surfaces such as door handles in busy areas, for example, or elevator buttons. And then there's the other part of it, which is the employee empowerment and the, 
the CV survey that was done for LIFOR for Pro Solutions actually found that 58% of people returning to work wanted wipes and sprays so that they could protect themselves in their desk environment. And I think this is really important for people. They want to feel comfortable, and they, especially if they're sharing their desk. So, you know, for example, I know in radio you have to share your uh, your workstation throughout the day with different people. Right. Um, it's very important, isn't it? When you sit there, you want to feel comfortable. And we know that one of the roots of infection is from hands into your eyes for respiratory illnesses. Um, if you feel uncomfortable where you're sitting and you think your hands might have got contaminated, well, instead of having to keep washing your hands or sanitizing your hands while you're sitting at your desk, it would be nice to actually make the desk clean and sanitized so that you can then think, I can just settle down to work now. And if I do touch my face, it won't matter because my hands are clean, I've just disinfected them, and my surfaces are disinfected. So I've got this safe environment and I can be comfortable and confident in my workspace. So that's one example of what you were talking about earlier, sort of, and I know this has been kind of a, a buzzword, almost a cliche during the pandemic of following the science, but science-based uh, back-to-the-office solutions. So what uh, types of uh, resources are available, I, I guess, for lack of a better word, to help employers do this in the right way to make sure that they alleviate any of those fears and keep their employees healthy? Well, I think um, if you look at LifeSolveProSolutions.com, there are there's a lot of assistance there for people. Um, and I think it's really listening to what the employees want, providing those wipes so that people um, can actually disinfect their, their workspace themselves. And then if you need to get information about where and when to clean, then that information is on the website. So I think that that's really where this is all coming to. We, we want to be to use targeted hygiene so that we're not wasting resources uh, and money and time. Um, we're actually focusing on the things that really matter to mm-hmm. really make a difference. And hygiene is, for me, I'm passionate about it, as you can probably tell by the way I'm talking, but, <laughs> you know, it, it, it can be it can be quite simple, but it's so effective. Right. And, and just to underscore a point that you made earlier, and I think this was uh, very important, uh, this, the burden isn't all on the employers themselves. And obviously, uh, employers need to set up a, a, uh, a hygiene protocol, as we were mentioning earlier. Uh, but also, employees have a role to play. So uh, any other back-to-the-office tips for employees? Yeah, I mean, it's really important if you're not feeling well, if you've got the potential to spread an illness to other people that you don't go into work. And I think we're getting used to hybrid working. So hopefully there'll be opportunities for people who are not feeling brilliant uh, not to go into work and not to spread their diseases, but to work from home. Um, So it's hand, hand sanitizing when you arrive at the office. Don't go in if you're sick and clean your desk. Um, uh, you know, before you sit down, and, and if you do get ill at work, um, to, to disinfect your desk when you leave, so that someone else will pick up your desk. Absolutely. Again, uh, talking about office hygiene, workplace hygiene in a post-COVID world, it's something we still need to be very concerned about because there are a lot of other things out there that can make us sick. Dr. Lisa Ackerley, Director of Medical and Scientific Engagement and Hygiene for Lysol Pro Solutions. Mention again the website where folks can find uh, more resources on this topic. It's LysolProSolutions.com. Simple as that, and we will link it up at our webpage as well. Dr. Ackerley, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Coming up next weekend, the Findlay Rotary Club is hosting a spring garden party at the Hancock Hotel to benefit the local Welcome to a New Life program. And Carla Benjamin from uh, Welcome to a New Life is uh, with us in the studio this morning. This is a program that we've talked about a number of times. For those who are not familiar with it, uh, talk a little bit about what it is that you do and how successful this has become over just the past couple of years since it was launched. Right. Absolutely. First of all, Chris, thank you so much for um, giving me up the opportunity to come today and speak about not only the gala, but also 
um, talking about Welcome to New Life. I'm excited. As a matter of fact, yesterday was my two-year anniversary. So been I'm with done. the organization for two years. Ta-da! And I love it. If I it. had known, we'd have streamers <laughs> and balloons and everything. You know, uh, but, a little disappointed, but no, it's okay. No, it's all right. But I will say our program, um, the, what our purpose is, mentorship. Mentorship for individuals that really want a second chance in life. So connecting them with positive, wonderful mentors, volunteers um, in our community that believe that people deserve hope. People deserve, you know, someone that will just come alongside them, give them encouragement, give love on them Mm -hmm. and show that they care. Right. Because everyone wants to feel like they matter. Right. And that journey is hard. That journey is a struggle. I mean, because you're dealing with people with substance use as well as sometimes mental health. Right. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that we are there. We are only one part of the village that's supporting them yeah. and helping them through this journey. Yeah. But what we do is more of that hands-on, um, just making sure, like, did you go to, how was probation today? Did you go, to, how, how how was your treatment mm-hmm. meeting? Did you go see your counselor? And then from there, it's about just really building a relationship and just mm-hmm. being their friend. And, and making individuals who have maybe made bad choices uh, in the past, not maybe, have made bad choices in the past. Um, recognize that they are still valued. They're, they still have worth. They are still, uh, still possible to be a solid, productive member of the community. That, that is so true. I mean, the story of redemption is so is, yeah. is very... It's interesting it's that we're talking about this as we're coming up on the Easter holiday. That is true. You know what I mean? Right. I, because there are a lot of parallels there. Yes, there's, there's many. And, uh, you know... I could go on and on and on and talk to you about several people that I've seen life change. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's it's the reduction of recidivism. It's bringing people back into being um, productive citizens, people now working, people paying their taxes, people, you know, yeah. reconnecting with their family members. And it's just the whole new life. And like that you said, may be I, I would have to imagine that's got to be maybe the most fulfilling part of this to see people reconnect with loved ones in their life that they may have been estranged uh, from for years it is. in some cases. It is. That's got to be. Um, and and. When this all started, I have to admit, when I when this first started, I heard about this, I was a bit skeptical. I'm thinking, it's a great idea, not sure if this is going to work, but the results speak for themselves. Oh, absolutely. The results speak for themselves. And I'm actually really excited because our, our 2021 impact report's about ready to um, come out. And it's, it's the stories, right? Mm-hmm. It's not anything that I could do because honestly, the people that are in our program they have to want to do this. Yeah. They're the ones that are, are doing the work. Mm-hmm. And when they start seeing like things, you know, I'm not going to lie. There's still going to be some barriers that they come up against. Right. But with our program and with the other programs in our community, the stigma is somewhat yeah. reducing. Right. And so we're able to help them, you know, where before people probably wouldn't hire someone with a felony. People mm-hmm. probably wouldn't rent with a felony. But things are starting to change. But again, it goes back to the people that we're working with. They're putting the work. Right. They're, they're showing that they really do want to change their life. And the mentors who are willing to step up and, uh, and, and give of themselves in what I'm sure maybe you're a little apprehensive going in. Uh, oh, because I- you're... You're befriending and you're mentoring someone who you would, in most cases, never come into contact with. That is very, that's correct. Yeah. A lot of our mentors never walk this life, never, mm-hmm. never have dealt with anybody, you know, with this type of experience. The difference between our mentorship program and other programs in our community that have peer support is I've been there, done that, understand what you're going through. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to come alongside with you because yeah. I've changed my life as well. Yeah. Our mentors a lot of them have never had that experience. And so they're just sharing that compassion, that true feeling of mm-hmm. treating people with humanity. And you know what? I'm going to come alongside you because I truly believe that people deserve second chances. Yeah. Our hashtag now is more chances. Yeah. Because we know. All, but we've all made mistakes. I <laughs> oh, mean, we yes. may not have made the mistakes on the same level as uh, some of the uh, uh, individuals that are mentoring, but everybody has made mistakes and everybody uh, can overcome those. So that is true. It's kind of the... Uh, mantra of welcome to a new life. That's what it's about. So in order to continue the program, obviously, uh, funding is necessary. uh, And uh, that is part of what the Spring Garden Party, 
the Hancock Hotels being presented by the Finley Rotary Club. That is coming up next weekend. Tell us about this event. Yes. So very, very pleased that um, Rotary, the noon Rotary, chose Welcome to Your Life as one of their nonprofits to support um, with a fundraiser. So next Saturday um, at the Hancock Hotel, tickets are $100 a person. Um, but it includes the dinner. Um, there's a reverse raffle, silent auction, live auction items. Um, and I'm telling you, um, between Stan and Puck, and I know the committee there with Welcome uh, for um, Noon Rotary, I'm, Lisa and Mike from Waterford Bank really stepped it up. Um, Stan and Puck were getting prizes left and right, and people, <laughs> I mean, and people were so willing to help and yeah. support. So we're excited about that. Um, but again, not only will this garden party fundraiser help Welcome to New Life, but it's actually a twofold. It's also helping and supporting um, the Rotary Forward Fund, which that forward fund helps other nonprofits in our community. So it's, it's a beautiful thing when you stop and think about that this is not only going to help Welcome to New Life, mm-hmm. but other organizations in our community well and as you were mentioning welcome to a new life uh, often uh, is intertwined with other services within the community as well that can help get people uh, on that right path uh, so uh, it's it's very appropriate to uh, help uh, all of the uh, nonprofits that we can uh, tickets you said uh, you were mentioning before we went on the air going very quickly on this yes tickets are actually going really quickly um, and so if anyone is interested in getting a ticket um, the the best thing that I would suggest is to get a hold of Lisa Amstutz over at Waterford, and her email is Lisa dot, and it's A M S T U T Z at WaterfordBankNA.com. Okay. And of course, I could give this to you so then that way you have it because actually, yeah. with the way tickets are and things like that, it's better sometimes to have one person in charge of it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we have uh, information about it linked up at our webpage oh, too at goodmornings.net so you can uh, find out uh, more. But again, it's great, uh, great food. The Hancock Hotel, it's always uh, great food there. Right. And the reverse raffle is the big draw. Right. Uh, it is. So. It is. But I will tell you that none of this is possible without some wonderful sponsors that we've had um, um, that come to support this. We have Ohio Logistics. We have American Plastics Friends, Bill and Donna Roos. We have Peter and Susan Gilligan, Stan Kajawa with Brian Ford Lincoln, Waterford Bank, and then Richard and Karen um, Zunkowitz. Then we have a lot of other other sponsors that have come up and supported this. Chris and Nicole Alexander, the State Bank. Uh, Farmers Merchant State Bank, the Rich Chevrolet Cadillac, Sings Flowers, Chuck and Kim Stump, the Banking Company and Bread, um, Bread Needs, Taylor Auto, the Trust Company, Family Offices, Financial Strategies, um, Rich Rowe from Edward Jones, Finley Quality Collision, St. Michael's Church, um, Thistle Exchange, Colden Crates Funeral Home, and Char um, Simons from um, Danbury Realties. Yeah. So I will tell you, a lot of people stepped up. Wonderful auction items. We have some memorabilia, sports memorabilia. We have NASCAR tickets. We have awesome uh, stuff. Not a NASCAR, Indy 500. And then we have some Notre Dame tickets. Oh, cool. So, and a private tour. With, that was donated. Awesome. So we have some wonderful prizes. It's going to be a great time. Again, uh, it's all happening next Saturday. Yes. Uh, the information on how to get tickets to the Spring Garden Party at the Hancock Hotel from the Findlay Rotary Club benefit uh, the Rotary Forward and Welcome to a New Life program uh, here locally. Go to goodmornings.net to learn more. Carla Benjamin with Welcome to a New Life with us this morning once again. Carla, thanks very much. Thank you, Chris. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. You remember the story we had yesterday about the guy who uh, faked being a law enforcement officer, I think a Department of Homeland Security uh, officer, in order to score a meal discount at Wendy's? <laughs> He's facing charges now of impersonating a law enforcement officer, all because he wanted to score a free Frosty. Uh, So here's another case. It's obviously you should never impersonate law enforcement to try and get free or discounted stuff. The Tulsa, Oklahoma Police Department says a man was arrested after he showed up at a car dealership claiming he was a federal marshal and tried to drive away uh, one of the uh, one of the vehicles they had on the lot. I'm a federal marshal. I need to commandeer this vehicle. <laughs> uh, police. Well, I suppose. I mean, that's better than just scoring a meal discount at Wendy's. I mean, go go big or go home, right? But still, uh, police say uh, Randy Cantwell first arrived at the dealership on Monday. He told an employee he was interested in an Audi. 
The employee had the keys to the car in hand and uh, walked him over to the car before he tried to explain to the customer that it wasn't ready to be driven. It hadn't been through the safety checks and all of that ready to be put on the lot. Police say that's when Mr. Cantwell told the employee the car was stolen, that he was a federal marshal, and that he was taking the car with him. Quick-thinking workers blocked him in, forcing Mr. Cantwell to leave the vehicle and try to uh, leave the lot on foot. But when police arrived, they said Cantwell only provided a driver's license when asked for ID. Uh, He was unable to present his federal marshal identification. And that's when they figured something's up here. (laughs) He tried to explain that he became a federal marshal after Donald Trump declared martial law while president. (laughs) Which he didn't, of course. Uh, Mr. Cantwell was arrested on false uh, impersonation of law enforcement charges. (laughs) Uh, Like I said, go big or go home, I guess. That's go big or go to jail in this case. Um, speaking of, uh, car dealerships, or in this case, a, a car repair shop in Houston, Texas, a surveillance video showed a thief breaking into a car shop on Monday morning, uh, using a car battery, a drive shaft and her brute strength to break through a sheetrock wall in the shop and then vandalizing multiple vehicles inside. Uh, The video surveillance video shows her face clearly looking through a hole in the wall that she had pounded open before she continues to vandalize the property. The only why she pounded through a wall and not, you know, just like broke in through the door. I don't know, but she had a hole in the wall. The owner of the dealership says he uh, discovered the damage around 9 a.m. The woman uh, wearing sunglasses and a sports bra as she vandalized a black Chevrolet Camaro by painting all over it. Jesus loves you. Apparently, the thief took off in a stolen gold Mercedes SL500 hardtop convertible, and police are asking for anyone with information to please call Crime Stoppers. <laughs> wow. It's all kinds of weird there. Speaking of weird thefts, a man in Kentucky is accused by his neighbor of stealing his trees. That's right. Neighbor says man came down on his property, chopped down, and stole nearly a dozen walnut trees. Kevin Colston claims that uh, his neighbor Lee, Frankfort, Kentucky, came onto his property, cut down 10 trees. Uh, Mr. Rarden, the alleged thief, says he thought he was on his, his own property. He cut down the trees to sell to a sawmill. Mr. Colston said that the property lines are clearly marked. How do you uh, report that? Do you when you call police? Yes, I want to report my neighbor has stolen my trees. It's a little unusual on a call that police get every day. I would imagine. Uh, let's see here. Uh, in Naples, Florida, a man facing charges after being arrested for yelling at random kids and attempting to punch a police officer. <laughs> According to reports, it was a slow day. <laughs> he was bored, needed something to do. Uh, Stephen Joy, charged with disorderly uh, conduct and resisting arrest uh, on Tuesday afternoon. Police say Mr. Joy was on the beach there in Naples and he began throwing bottles and screaming at random children. When officers arrived, they say while being arrested, Mr. Joy took a swing at an officer and later banged his head against a partition in the patrol car. Uh, by the way, I should mention he was also charged with public intoxication. Ah, now it makes sense. That's. <laughs> and finally, in the broken news this morning, an out of this world event being confirmed by the U.S. military, the United States Space Command says an interstellar meteor landed on Earth just over eight years ago. Meteor. Slammed into the earth. And this was eight years ago. We're just now learning about this. An interstellar meteor originates from outside our solar system, which makes it a very rare occurrence. The space rock crashed to earth January 8th, 2014. 
along the northeast coast of Papua New Guinea. A then-undergraduate student at Harvard University first identified the meteor back in 2019. And again, I wonder, why are we just now learning we had a meteor from beyond our solar system crash into Earth? It seems like that should have been something that we found out about sooner than after eight years. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. How to stay safe when a tornado threatens. The best thing to do is make sure you're prepared. Know your area's tornado risk. The Midwest has a greater risk for tornadoes. Know the signs of a tornado and sign up for your community's warning system. Pay attention to weather reports and identify and practice going to a safe shelter. Take an active role in your safety. Go to ready.gov and search tornado for more information. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Saturday uh, begins National Park Week. And, of course, the national parks uh, really became hot tourism destinations during the uh, pandemic, continued uh, to be so. Demand uh, for lodging and uh, accommodations in national parks uh, has been soaring. The Family Vacation Guide looked at the country's 63 national parks to determine which is the most kid-friendly, the most family-friendly, based on the number of hotels, trails, attractions, and landmarks suitable for young travelers. So as we come up on National Park Week and summer vacation season, the result shows that of all of the national parks, the best one for kids, Yellowstone. Situated mostly in Wyoming, with sections in Idaho and Montana, the country's first national park gets its greatest appeal from its geothermal features with more than 10,000 hydrothermal sites, including 500 geysers, half of the active ones on the planet are at Yellowstone. Um, The uh, geysers are among the 37 kid-friendly landmarks within the park that also include the Grand Prismatic Spring and Mammoth Hot Springs. Yellowstone also has a ton of wildlife from birds to bears and beyond to capture the attention of little ones, as well as 98 different trails to explore. Um, Yellowstone also caters to children with five themed virtual adventures accessible via an online portal that explains each uh, feature in a kid-friendly manner. So even if you can't visit, you can visit virtually. Uh, after Yellowstone, the top 10 kid-friendly parks are the Great Smoky Mountains uh, in Tennessee uh, and, and the Carolinas, uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, Yosemite, the Grand Canyon, Glacier National Park, Acadia National Park, Death Valley. <laughs> hey, kids, let's go to Death Valley. Uh, the Grand Tetons and Mount Rainier. It is notable that Yellowstone celebrated its 150th anniversary back in March. So there you go. If you're planning a family vacation and you're thinking a national park would be a great getaway, and it would be, uh, those are the best ones for kids. Uh, Yellowstone at the top of the list. And the Great Smoky Mountains, I think, is uh, pretty significant there because that's fairly nearby. You can get there easily in a day. And, uh, yeah, lots of uh, great things to see and, and do and explore the Great Smoky Mountains. So there you go. And now time for our Throwback Thursday segment this morning. One thing that the pandemic accelerated was the transition to a cashless society. Fewer people using cash to pay for things, certainly while we were shopping online and even in store. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you paid cash for something? For many of us, it's been a while. And now we don't even need cash to pay other individuals either. About four years ago, we spoke with Jason Oxman, who was at the time CEO of the Electronic Transactions Association. He currently serves as president of the Information Technology Industry Council. And we spoke about this then new trend of digital payment technology, the benefits and the pitfalls of a cashless society. 
from April of 2018. It is today's Throwback Thursday. Really interesting, not just millennials who are embracing this new technology. Well, that's exactly right. There's a generational difference, as you might imagine, with new technologies. Uh, about 75% of millennials said that they're using mobile payments in their day-to-day lives. Only about 41% of baby boomers said uh, they would be likely to use mobile payments. We have a little work to do there. That being said, those in all ages, uh, across all age groups, uh, do actually say they envision a day when we are a completely cashless society in the near future. I mean, they've been talking about this for years and years and years and years and years, but it seems more imminent now. And in fact, uh, more than two-thirds of consumers said they can imagine a world where we don't pay with cash anymore. And yeah. usage of cash overall is going down, and we know that forms of payment change over time. Not a lot of people are pulling out their checkbooks to write checks these days. That's oh, yeah. one of the fastest declining forms of payment. U.S. consumers uh, generated about $7 trillion worth of credit and debit card payments last year in the U.S. About 70% of all transactions at retail uh, are done with electronic payments versus cash. Certainly more convenient. You mentioned the peer-to-peer services where you're paying somebody back for dinner last night. Um, That is easy to do uh, using a mobile device, so we're seeing a lot more of that. And this is really new technology for a lot of folks, this peer-to-peer payment uh, systems. And I want to get into some of the nuts and bolts uh, on this. First of all, how does that work for those who are not familiar with those forms of transactions? Yeah, so it really is uh, a financial services transaction taking advantage of electronic payment rails. Uh, people are familiar with services like Venmo, which is actually owned by PayPal, that a lot of millennials use, uh, mm-hmm. and it is a electronic message that you can send back and forth to move money, and then you can take your money out of Venmo using a debit card or a bank account. There's a service called Zelle. It's actually uh, a partnership of a lot of major banks around the country, and Zelle uses the same kind of technology on your mobile device. Yeah. Uh, to move money. It's a secure way to do it, um, and it's actually pretty convenient, a lot easier than writing somebody a check and dropping it in the mail. You mentioned uh, security. What about security? Because that's always the question. I'm sure that's the first question that you get with respect to any form of transaction, particularly these newer peer-to-peer uh, transaction types. It is the most important question that we get, and obviously the focus of the payments industry is on securing transactions. As a consumer, uh, we have no liability for fraud when we use uh, these electronic payment services that are tied to a card network, um, and that's a very important feature. So we do have some work to do, I think, on educating consumers about the security of mobile payments. Now, some peer-to-peer services may not have the same fraud protections as uh, other types of mobile payment services, so it's important as a consumer that you look at the terms and conditions. But when you're using something like Apple Pay or Samsung Pay or Google Pay to pay at the point of sale and your credit card uh, is tied to that mobile payment service, um, you have 100% protection against any liability. And indeed, those mobile payment services use tokenization technology and other forms of encryption uh, that make them incredibly secure, even more secure than the plastic card. Yeah, that's the, the thing you mentioned, Apple Pay, Google Pay, all of those things are actually more secure than using a card. Uh, if folks know again the nuts and bolts of what's going on behind the scenes you mentioned uh, though that those uh, forms of payment because they're tied to a card have the same protections as the card that they're tied to but I just saw a story uh, the past few days that consumer advocates have seen a spike in the number of complaints about frauds and scams using those peer-to-peer electronic payments and there are not the same types of protections in many cases there's You can't just reverse that charge if you dispute a charge. So in those cases, you do have to to treat this as if it were a cash transaction, do you not? In some of those peer-to-peer transactions, the protections that we're accustomed to uh, from card network services are not available. That is correct, and it's important, again, to read the terms and conditions. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, other protections are available. A lot of these peer-to-peer services, um, particularly when they're tied to a bank uh, account, uh, have additional protections, but those protections uh, are, are different, as you noted, uh, than some of the uh, credit card protections that we're accustomed to. Yeah. Uh, you know, fraud is an important 
important thing to be concerned about, and uh, although it doesn't represent a significant percentage of transactions, it is something that you have to be aware about. Uh, in peer-to-peer transactions in particular, uh, one thing that peer-to-peer services caution about is know who you're transacting with. Mm-hmm. There's very low risk of fraud if you're transacting with the friend with whom you split the pizza yeah. or you need to pay back for a utility <laughs> bill or rent for the apartment. Yeah. Um, but if you're doing something online, uh, buying merchandise, for example, is something that's not recommended with a peer-to-peer service because you don't necessarily know who you're dealing with and the risk of fraud is higher. So there are certainly some best practices you can engage in to protect yourself while still taking advantage of these valuable peer-to-peer services. The bottom line, the takeaway there is that not all of these are the same uh, in terms of the way they work and the protections uh, that are there. So you do need to know what those differences are. So that's probably the most important takeaway there. What What is the future of this? I mean, look in into your crystal ball again as uh, uh, CEO of the industry the electronic uh, transaction association you know better than anyone what the future may hold yeah it's something we're uh, talking about quite a bit uh, these days I think what's on the horizon this year is a lot more focus on contactless technology that's where you tap to pay mm-hmm. now people are familiar with the tap to pay using a phone or a watch um, but we're going to see contactless cards coming on the market this year anybody watching the Olympics who saw those visa commercials Commercials about contactless cards knows that that's a technology that uh, banks are really interested in deploying. It's the same chip technology, same security, uh, but instead of inserting your chip, you can actually tap it to pay. So it's just a faster uh, and more seamless experience at the point of sale. Mm-hmm. That's something I think you'll see a lot more this year. Yeah, I, I actually have uh, already have one of those in my wallet. I've used it. It's really, uh, really interesting. But it does take a little bit of getting used to. Uh, again, Jason Oxman is the CEO of the Global. Trade Association uh, representing hundreds of these technology and payment companies, the Electronic Transactions Association. You've got more on what you do and more what the what the future may hold at your website, correct? We do. You can go online to transactiontrends.com and find all kinds of great information about payments technology. Again, from April of 2018, our conversation with then CEO of the Electronic Transactions Association, Jason Oxman. It is today's Throwback Thursday, and you can get more information about that and everything else we talk about each day on the program at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Coming up tomorrow on the show, with millions of people looking for new career opportunities, scam artists are seizing the opportunity. We'll tell you how not to get taken in by what amounts to an employment catfishing scheme. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.